Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name is Scott Jennison. I'm the Acquisitions Manager here at Streamline Property Buyers, and um, it's great. We've got, a, we've got an exciting guest here today um, joining us to talk a little bit more about uh, contracts um, so from the REIQ, welcome to Kat Bevan. Welcome, Kat. Thank you. I don't know if exciting and contract have ever been in the same sentence, but <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. Kat, we are excited that you have joined us on the episode today. And I know prior to recording, there's actually a lot of information that consumers need to be aware of when it comes to signing residential contracts. And of course, here on the Brisbane Property Podcast, our goal is to educate and inform the consumer about the property buying process. So I think that it is exciting. I think you've got so much value to add. And certainly in relation to what we've been seeing recently with some transactions, and I think that's what we're going to have a bit of a dig around um, with today. But um, Kat, uh, for those that don't know Kat Bevan, she joined the Real Estate Institute of Queensland as legal counsel and company secretary back in 2019 and was then promoted to general counsel and company secretary at the end of 2021. So there's some impressive titles there. She's an accomplished lawyer who practised in a variety of areas of law for almost a decade with a focus on property, commercial and securities law. So as you can see, we're certainly excited to have Kat on the podcast today because she's going to add enormous value to our listeners in relation to what you need to be aware of when signing a residential contract when purchasing a property, or in fact, what you need to be aware of as a seller in relation to those residential contracts. I I always find it interesting, Kat, we get a lot of inquiries um, from people and and a lot of probably from down south, so New South Wales and Victoria, um, and, and it's very different. Um, when we start to talk about contracts and we say, look, the contracts are very different up here in Queensland. So people, which is, again, a reason why we've got you on today to have a bit of a chat is to help people understand a little bit of ins and outs and some of the differences, I guess. Um, But they are very, very different from state to state, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So here in Queensland, uh, the REIQ owns the contract, but we have a partnership with the Queensland Law Society. And together, we update the contracts in accordance with any legislative changes and any response to what we're seeing in practice, both for the legal profession and the real estate profession. So there's a number of updates, as you've pointed out, um, that have been made over the years. When was the contract first uh, put in place? It's, it's been quite a while for a number of years. We're actually on the 18th edition now. So sometimes we'll update the contract twice a year in response to legislative um, amendments, which we never know when it's going to happen, of course. Yeah. But at the same time, when we do see ongoing issues that are happening in practice as transactions change over time, we'll then ensure that we update the contract uh, in collaboration with the Queensland Law Society. Kat, can I just ask for our listeners, obviously, as I talked about people not all in Queensland, Yes. Do, does everyone use the REIQ contract? So uh, I would like to say majority yep. of the agents in Queensland use the contract. So we have a RealWorks platform where the contract lives and majority of licensed agents in Queensland use our 
platform really works. Mm -hmm. And so it's really safe to say that the REI key contract, both from a legal practitioner perspective, as well as real estate agents, heavily rely on the REI key contract. And it's the heavily, um, the most used form in terms of transacting uh, a property in Queensland. Now, because it's being developed by the REIQ in conjunction with the Queensland Law Society, this is not a one-sided contract. And it would be great if we can get uh, a bit of an overview from you in terms of how the conditions and the terms and conditions within this standard form contract, how they protect both the buyer and the seller. It's really not, you know, all for the benefit of one party, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So what we want to focus on, of course, is consumer protection. So mm. the the way when we prepare for a review, when we review the agreement, uh, the standard contract, I should say, we always have the consumer in mind, you know, making sure that we align with consumer laws. But at the same time, we want to protect both parties. So examples of the heavily focused um, buyer benefits uh, within the agreement would be ensuring that buyers have the abil ability to obtain finance, you know, giving buyers the right to conduct building and pest inspections, ability to extend settlement dates for both parties. So, you know, both parties gain the benefit of should any de uh, delays occur or a specific event happen, that the ability uh, is there for the parties to extend that settlement. Any the warranties, of course, there are warranties on the contract that are included on there, both from to secure to provide security to the buyer, mm -hmm. I should say, that what they're purchasing is what they expect it to be and what they've uh what they've seen. In terms of other additional uh provisions that protect a buyer is one that uh, relates to boundaries of the land. So over time when I was in private practice, there's all you know, there's you gotta be careful in terms of when. You do, do, you do decide to survey the land, for example, just because there's a fence there doesn't mean that's exactly where, um, you know, yeah. the boundary of what you're purchasing is. I've had an instance where, oh, it's all good. I know where the fence is. It's like, no, no, you could be entitled to more than that, or the fence might not even be correct. It might not be your land. So, you know, there's an ability for buyers to ensure that they have the ability to survey the land. And at the same time, there are those uh, provisions on there that are required by law. For example, you know, sellers are required to provide notice if the, it's, the property is contaminated in accordance with the Environmental Protection Act. There's clauses on there that requires the seller to disclose information in accordance with the Building Act as well as the Planning Act. So there's a mixture of provisions on there that are required by law that you can't contract out of, mm -hmm. as well as just uh, contractual provisions that protect uh, parties. That's interesting that you've just said that in that there's a number of provisions in the contract that are required by law and therefore that buyer and the seller cannot contract out of that. Can you just explain um, in simple terms what you mean by they can't contract out of that? Yeah. So what that means is, for example, in terms of the contaminated land, uh, mm -hmm. so under there are certain requirements under the Environmental Protection Act that requires the seller to disclose certain information. So which means that you can't add a special condition in the agreement that says, you know, um, that the buyer is not entitled to, that is not entitled to receive any information about that and that the sellers then don't have any obligation to the buyer to be provided with such information, for example. So from what you're saying, if we were to provide advice to buyers, how would they know if 
uh, there was the um, opportunity, not the opportunity, but, you know, if someone was trying to put in something in the contract to contract out of those things required by law, how would a buyer know? Let, well, let me give you a perfect example of uh, this is, well, one, they would know if they have the right people providing them with the advice, right? So this is why we always encourage parties to seek legal advice before they sign anything. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, they have, you know, they obtain a buyer's agent who can explain that to them as a purchaser. And then they have agents who explain, who could also explain uh, at a high level what the provisions mean to them. But at the end of the day, our best practice advice is they always seek legal advice. But a perfect example of when consumers need to start thinking about this issue is the seller's disclosure regime, for example. Mm. So currently in Queensland, there's no requirement, statutory requirement, so legal requirement for a seller to provide a plethora of information about the property, right? Mm. So moving forward, when the um, when it passes and when we receive more information from the government on when this commences, in the, f- in the near future, sellers will be required to provide certain searches and information about the property. Now, once that's legislated, a seller cannot include a provision in the agreement that says, I waive the the obligation to provide you with certain information that's now required by law and you have to accept that. So um, a, a seller cannot contract and cannot force a buyer to agree to not receiving um, the required documents if it's prescribed by law. So what we'll start seeing, for example, is there needs to be contaminated land search. There needs to be a copy of the title search. There needs to be a copy of the survey plan. That if it's a body corporate, it needs to have all the body corporate details. Now, these are the information that are generally um, can be done once the contract is signed. And at the moment, the current situation is all these searches are done after the contract is signed. Mm. But moving forward, that has to be provided before signing a contract. So if any sellers tries to include a special condition that says, nope, I don't need to provide you with information, well, that's unlawful. And that would, that's what it means uh, where you're tr- you can't contract out of something that's required by legislation. So just to help our listeners, um, you mentioned that, you know, be it's important to look for any special conditions mm. in the REIQ contract. Where are those special conditions found? Um, where do buyers need to look in case, you know, there are those special conditions that might actually cross out or delete certain clauses from the contract? Yep. So an example would be the contract for houses and land. Um, and at the moment we have the 18th edition. So you'll find there's a reference schedule that has the name of the parties, the purchase price, you know, the, the description of the property, whether there's spoke alarms, etc. And then in addition to that, there's a page, I believe it's page five out of 15. Mm-hmm. So there's a portion on there that, uh, that has a type heading special conditions. And generally that's where agents or legal practitioners will include additional conditions that apply to that property. Now, mm-hmm. special conditions are conditions in addition to the essential terms that form part of the whole contract, which starts at page six, I believe, and then it goes on to page fifth out of fifteen. Yeah. So, so Kat, with those special conditions, obviously, when you mentioned earlier about seeking legal advice, mm-hmm. that would be obviously something that the the buyer should really take get legal advice on when they're adding the special conditions in. Absolutely. I mean, for both parties, if 
any party, both seller and buyer, wishes to add any special conditions, mm -hmm. uh, they should obtain legal advice from their solicitor on how that will impact their transaction. Uh, and especially if a buyer is opting to enter into a contract with a seller and there's additional uh, conditions that goes beyond what the standards are, then absolutely the best um, practice is to ensure that they seek legal advice and that they're purchasing exactly what they believe um, they've intended to do. Yeah, it can be a big risk for a buyer. I mean, it's such a huge transaction um, mm -hmm. that you want to make sure you understand what it is you're signing. And I know in some instances, buyers might put forward a letter of offer and then that might not be in contract form and then they get verbal acceptance that the offer's been accepted and then it's just a matter of signing the contract. And a sales agent might send through the contract to the buyer mm -hmm. and ask them just to sign on the dotted line and, and everything's done. But it really is important to just put the handbrake on at that point in time and ensure that if there's anything in that contract that you don't understand that you seek that legal advice because once you sign, it's actually too late to change the terms of what you may or may not have agreed to. So obviously when we're representing our clients, we're always looking for ways that a contract may have um, or some of the way that, that some of the conditions in the contract may have been changed or uh, we've seen instances recently where sales agents are deleting some of the standard terms that otherwise would apply in a contract. And of course, these are reasons for us where we call them red flag moments, we will always stop and send that contract through to a solicitor so that our buyer has absolute certainty around what this means. Now, it doesn't mean to say you have to sign and agree to that, but mm. having the ability to go back to a sales agent um, and or the seller or their solicitor to either challenge those special conditions or negotiate something different to those special conditions is really important. So buyers shouldn't feel time pressured at that point when they're being asked to sign and they should always ask for the opportunity to have that contract reviewed. But equally, any seller should understand the contract that their sales agent is putting forward for buyers. And if you are a seller and you don't understand anything that's in that contract, it's equally important for you to understand what any special conditions that have been inserted mean for you as a seller as well. Yeah. And it's that's not just obviously the legal side of it, but as Melinda was talking about, whether it's a buyer and a seller, it's two parties trying to negotiate to buy a property. Mm. So if they are either taking conditions out, that might actually eliminate some buyers. So from a exactly. seller's point of view, that could restrict the field of people that want to buy that property because all these conditions have been taken out and it makes it harder for people to, to buy the property. Some of the conditions, obviously, if we run through some of them, Kat, you know, and obviously when you come to auctions, for example, there are some definite ones that do get deleted out. Quite yeah. common, you've got the waving of the cooling off, building and pests, finance, those types of things. They're probably the most common, I would have thought. Yeah, well, it, and they're being sold under auction conditions, right? So buyers need to be aware. Um, and this is where, again, a benefit to having buyers agents on hand to help you go through that process because auctions can be quite intimidating. And, and you really need to understand what you're entering into during an auction because the whole concept of an auction process is that you're purchasing essentially unconditional. Uh, if, if there are other conditions on there, like that, you know, it, it includes X 
um, asset, for example, then that could be still um, acceptable in terms of during the auction process. But outside of that environment, parties really need to understand what their objective is. It doesn't mean that it's a complete taboo to remove and omit uh, contract terms. I mean, we see it day in and day out, especially in the legal world. You know what I mean? Um, you, our duty is to review agreements suitable to our clients. So from a seller's perspective, what is their objective? Who are they trying to attract to uh, from a buyer? Mm -hmm. So are they trying to attract ones who want to renovate where, for example, maybe the livability requirements is might not be a might be a moot point you know they might want to sell it on an as-is basis and that might be okay for buyers but from a buyer's perspective what you know do they want a place that's livable or is their plan future plan to bulldoze the whole thing anyway and it doesn't matter to them so really the parties need to understand what their objective is what their goals are do they want to find client up uh, sorry buyers from a seller's perspective do they want buyers that can easily move into this property that can provide them the best value for the property that they're trying to sell and vice versa. So you really have to have both parties knowing what they want and then updating the terms that's suitable to them and finding the equivalent counterpart that is willing to accept that. Mm -hmm. And the key thing that you noted there, Melinda, is the fact that they need to be aware mm -hmm. that it's being deleted and they need to be aware that it's being added. And this is why it's important that they seek advice anytime there's any amendment to the standard contract. But at the end of the day, the standard standalone contract should still be um, explained and provide, you know, provided guidance for to any parties anyway, because it's 15 pages of terms. And if you're a first time buyer, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. And you of do course. need that guidance, regardless of whether or not there's special conditions on there. And now I'm going to, you know, let the oh, cat out of the bag. We're going to actually talk about some specific examples that our team have um, have seen recently on contracts in Brisbane. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because in this instance, it has resulted in um, our buyers walking away. So this was the reason that we reached out to the REIQ originally, and, and this was the motivation behind this podcast episode. So if I can share um, an example where this has happened on more than one occasion, where we have found um, a property that has met the needs of our client, it's been uh, perfectly matched to their brief. We've inspected that property, we have appraised that property, and we have sought approval from our client to move forward with an offer on that property. Now, as buyer's agents, we will always present our offer in contract form. We don't entertain verbal negotiations, nor do we put forward offers in a letter of offer format. So we'll always request a copy of the contract prior to offer. And of course, as buyer's agents, if there are any special conditions in that contract that we don't understand, therefore our client won't understand, we will always request for that contract to be reviewed by a solicitor. Now, in this instance, we actually have um, received situations where some of those standard terms have been deleted. Can I just jump in in that, uh, Kat? You said there's no excitement between contracts and um when we're talking about contracts, you said there's no excitement. That word doesn't. Melinda's just done the build up here. Now there is excitement, isn't there? So you said at the start there's none, but there is excitement when you talk about contracts. 
I love contracts, so no dispute here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll let Melinda continue. <laughs> but the reason that this is such an important message and the reason that the the information in this podcast episode is absolutely critical is that in two instances recently, a seller in Brisbane, two separate sellers have missed out on our buyer putting forward offers on properties and it's due to contract terms that the sales agent was not willing to change. And you pointed out earlier in this episode that there are some standard conditions that are non-negotiable and that you cannot contract out of them. Mm. But, and the advice that we have received from our solicitor was exactly that advice, mm. that these you your client cannot sign the contract if those standard terms are deleted. So through negotiation or an attempt at negotiation, we asked for those terms to be reinstated, but we're told that they weren't able to be reinstated. So we're not going to advise our client to sign something that a solicitor has advised not to sign. So we walk away. Mm-hmm. We walk away and that seller loses a buyer in the market. Now that seller has no understanding of where our buyer saw value in the property because we didn't even get to present an offer. So this is I guess, a a real life example of what our team at Streamline Property Buyers have been experiencing in the market Mm. recently in Brisbane and a reason why contract reviews are absolutely critical, but also a reason why sellers really need to understand what terms and conditions and special conditions are being drafted into real estate contracts by their sales agent. And if they're not getting advice from an independent solicitor about what those terms and conditions might mean, then they might be losing buyers, not just us, but others who are getting the contracts reviewed. What's your sort of take on that? Yeah, spot on. And I think it echoes what I was saying earlier, where parties really need to seek legal advice prior to signing anything, any document, whatever it may be, how simple it is, right? So this consumer beware doesn't just apply to buyers, Sellers as clients of agents also have the uh, an opportunity to question agents and ask what terms are should be added or can be added or are included. And if there are any provisions that are being deleted, sellers absolutely should be asking the question on why that's being deleted. Now, the, as I said earlier, everyone's circumstances are different. We don't know what the objectives are of that particular seller, but where it becomes dangerous is where sellers don't even know that there's certain provisions that are being deleted. And so absolutely, at the end of the day, we want to ensure that all parties are aware of what they're trying to, what they're going to sign. And if that document is a document to sell quite an important asset, it's not something that you just want to be putting aside. It's really important for not just buyers, but for sellers alike to ensure that they know what they're presenting to buyers. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we have a lot of consumers who are aware now, and they're not just going to be able to get away with removing and omitting provisions that must remain on the contract and expect that buyers will just, um, you know, take it and go. Especially with the new regime, their obligations on sellers will strengthen uh, to ensure that they provide buyers with all the information they need to purchase a property. So let's not wait till that um, till that commences. It's better to start now. Be aware now. Provide the, all information that you have um, on you to be able to find the right buyer for your property. Because at the end of the day, you want to secure a transaction. Mm. And all parties 
just want to, you know, purchase their asset and want to sell their assets. So uh, it's really important that they're informed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame when a, a contractual document gets in the way of that agreement between a buyer and a seller and it doesn't necessarily have to. But if we can just run through some of the types of conditions that uh, potentially can be deleted without major concerns. So there's obviously, as you've pointed out from page six to page 15 in the residential contract for, for purchasing um, real estate in Queensland, that's full of standard terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. you've pointed out or Scott pointed out previously, yes, there may be the ability to waive the cooling off. And in fact, sometimes a buyer might use that to their advantage to make an offer more appealing to mm. a seller. So these, mm. these things can sometimes be advantageous and it's not always um, the opposite of that. We've yeah. talked about deleting the building and pest and finance conditions. Um, there's also the opportunity to delete the... Um, settlement extension option of five days. Now, yeah. again, that just gives a seller a bit more certainty that mm. the buyer will actually settle on the same day. And again, that can be of benefit to um, someone who may have a simultaneous settlement and not wanting yeah. other settlements to to roll through. Exactly. Um, Kat, you pointed out the ability to um, buy the property as is. So accept mm -hmm. the property in its as is state. And again, you pointed out the reasoning behind why that may be acceptable to both buyer and seller during a residential um, exchange. The other one that um, sometimes we see, which is acceptable in some instances, is that the seller may not be required to provide a smoke alarm certificate and therefore there's no right to adjust its settlement. Well, that's something you can quantify and price into a contract um, if you know what the subsequent cost will be. But there's other terms mm -hmm. that um, we've seen deleted that, in our experience, um, shouldn't be deleted. They should be reinstated. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly the right for a seller to be the registered owner at settlement. This is the type of standard term that yeah. you shouldn't be able to contract out of. Is that correct? Um, that, that's an interesting one. And I understand that the legal advice you received on that one was that not to remove, but I'd be interested. Mm -hmm. And yeah, absolutely. A seller should not be selling a property that is not they don't own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> correct. Unless there's some type of provision out there that it's a personal representative or it's being in the yeah. middle means of a transfer. You know what I mean? But at the end yeah. of the day, upon settlement, it's a property that they should absolutely have the indivisible right to transfer to another person. Mm. Yeah. And I think another one that we saw was um, that the seller needs to be capable of completing the contract and that there's going to be no unsatisfied court order or writ affecting the property. So again, something that the advice we've received is that it should be reinstated, but um, we've seen that that pushback and um, being told, no, it can't be. Yeah, that, that, that's actually um, an interesting one. I'm wondering, I mean, look, at the end of the day, again, case by case basis, there's, yep. always, there's always reasoning, but from an objective point of view, if there was no other reason for why that should be removed because of a certain event or the fact that the buyers have been told, oh, I'm removing that because I'm telling you that there is a court order and these are the steps that we're taking and that you're taking on that obligation by pursuing with this contract, then the, the simple omission of that of that provision with nothing, no further information should really alarm buyers, right? Going, well, why are you removing that clause? Is there a court order? Should I be worried? Because once I own it, is someone going to come after me uh, and try to, you know, get a stake in terms of the property that I've just purchased? So absolutely, clauses like that are, that are removed, buyers should be 
questioning. And mm. at the end of the day, sellers should be put on notice going, why are you removing this? Is there a reason? And if there is, then they should be disclosing that information. And, and I think that all all of these conditions really come down to when, and when we work with our clients, it, it's all about risk. So there's certain mm-hmm. levels of risk to, to, to look at when you get that advice. And okay, when you look at, as we mentioned, the, the finance, the building and pairs, those types of things. I mean, that's still a risk in itself, right? It's still a risk. Regardless of what environment, not yeah. having a finance provision on there, unless you have the cash right then and there, you want to have risk. security. At yeah. the end of the day, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the level of risk um, with those other ones deleted out, I think that's um, you're getting very, very high risk when you come to those ones. Um, but yeah, the other ones, as you said, there is risk. You need the advice and you need to to seek that advice before you actually enter into those contracts. Yeah, it really baffles me how um, consumers think that they don't need to, to seek legal advice for such a huge investment, mm-hmm. not just of time, but money. It's one of the biggest assets you're ever going to purchase in your lifetime. And to spend some money to ensure that you're getting the right asset that's suitable for your needs is really important. Couldn't have said it better myself. And, you know, I think anyone that's working with a quality buyer's agent should always be um, advised that getting a contract review before you sign is absolutely critical when, especially when there's any special conditions that are inserted that may change or alter the standard terms and conditions in a residential contract. Um, Kat, before we wrap it up, what's your best advice for consumers um, in the marketplace in relation to contracts? Yeah, absolutely. Please read your contracts. Seek independent legal advice. Know what your non-negotiables are and make sure that you are after a property that meets what your needs are from a buyer's perspective. And from a seller's perspective, understand what you're trying to offer the buyers because you might be at one end going oh it's okay i know it's a you know it's not a livable property but i'm after a buyer that just wants to renovate anyway and demolish it but yet your agent might be trying to look for someone that wants to live in the property and imposing all these conditions right so really i think it's it's of huge benefit for both parties sellers and buyers to ensure they know what they want and that the contracts that they enter into reflects exactly that and that they take the time, regardless of how long it takes, to be, to fully understand what that means and to be represented by the right um, professionals to ensure that they're doing the right thing, like obtaining a buyer's agent who can fight for them and advocate for what they need, right? It kind of removes that level of hurdle, especially as for a first home buyer. It's not easy. There's a lot to think about. I remember going through the process and even as a solicitor at the time, I was overwhelmed with all the things that you have to think about. So I can only imagine whatever. And I lived in brief contracts, but I didn't even want to do my own because <laughs> I knew I just needed someone else to look at it because I'll have my own bias. So I myself sought my own legal advice, even though I'm in the property space. So that's how important it is. Yeah, it's very good advice. And I think for anyone that's tuning in to the podcast episode today, um, we encourage you to take that advice. Don't sign something unless you understand what you're signing. Look out for any special conditions that are altering standard terms in a residential contract so that you can understand what that means for you as a buyer, but also what that might mean for you if you are a seller and the sales agent might be 
working with a contract that has those those standard terms or sorry some of those standard terms altered by special conditions yeah i i can't agree anymore and cat echo what you said get that advice i think that's that's probably the biggest thing to people understand it's a massive massive investment in life when you're buying property um so to understand what you're actually buying what you're signing before you sign it um and get that advice as well so um cat Thank you very, very much for taking the time out to join us today. Um, it's been, I said it was exciting. I'm, I still stand by that. It was exciting. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it and hopefully learnt um, something from this episode and also um, some a few good tips there as well. So thank you very much, Kat Bevan from REIQ. Thanks, Kat. Thank you for having me. And as usual, I will let Melinda wrap it up um, and... I will talk again next week. So from myself, I'll let Melinda close things out. Um, thanks very much for listening. Thanks again, Kat, and bye for now. Thank you, Kat. We have really appreciated you giving up your time this afternoon to share this information with the consumers that listen to the Brisbane Property Podcast. I think the information you've shared has been invaluable, so we appreciate your time. Thank you. As always, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. If you do enjoy our weekly episodes, we would love for you to share this podcast episode with friends or family, especially those that might be looking to buy or sell soon so that they can understand more about the importance of understanding the contract that they're signing. Uh, we would love for you to leave us a review if you enjoy our content. Uh, and as always, we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.